Hello, and welcome to the Words and Music Podcast, where we talk to musicians about their favorite books and writers. I'm David Wilson, and today I'm talking with Michael Trent and Carrie Ann Hurst from the band Shovels and Rope. Since 2008, Shovels and Rope have released seven albums. Their latest, By Blood, was released in 2019 on Dual Tone. In this conversation, we discuss their childhoods, books that have been important to them, and the challenges of being parents while maintaining creative careers and practices. Here's a sample of Mississippi Nothing off of By Blood, followed by our conversation recorded in Brooklyn, New York. Your joy is killing me Remember when we used to wear each other's clothes Yeah, I've been struggling But I know lots of things And I got an idea that's gonna turn on the money holes Choking on a joke, trying to keep it light I could never quite get the timing right But you, you never know how it feels I got ideas mm-hmm. No one knows We watched you on TV You can just kind of tell me as we go along. Okay. Is that cool? Yeah. Well, we could tell yeah, you sure, sure. real quick what the three are if you'd like. Sure, to let's do that. Yeah. My three are um, The Invention of Wings by Sue Monk Kidd. All right. She wrote The uh, Secret Life of Bees, which I haven't read, but okay. give you That's the big one, though. That's yeah. Like, yeah. But this one is about the Grimke sisters, and they were abolitionists in South, in Charleston, where we live. So we have like a real. The, I just could see the town like in the book it was wild okay. um, the uh, and then Grapes of Wrath oh, good, great, man. and then uh, my third one was what was it mm-hmm. you say what yours were while I try to remember what my third one was <clears throat> I chose uh, Like Brothers by the Duplass Brothers okay um, because it was it's just so interesting about, I mean, we can talk all about it, but it was like, it's these two brothers that work together, um, you know, making films and making art, and they're so, there's, they love each other so much, it's like, related to a lot of the family yeah. dynamic. That thing. makes sense with what you guys are doing. Yeah, it's just like, all, all the things, all the, all the, the emotions and the, like, you know, you're setting aside of your ego and things like that that go into it. Um, so, Like Brothers by the Duplass Brothers. Uh, I picked Here I Am by Jonathan Saffron Foyer. I knew you would pick a Foyer book, but I didn't know which one you would It's pick. just like, 
it hits home because of the family aspect of it, really. All of his writing does, uh, like, uh, we've always liked it. Yeah, um, I was just thinking about it, and I was under pressure, so I grabbed it. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, the other one I picked was Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. Okay. Cool. It's kind of fun and, and my dark favorite, and teenagery. Yeah, I like Lamb by Christopher Moore. Okay. I have gone through a bunch of, like, what? Maybe this one or that one. But that one, I just, it it's documents, like, the missing years of Christ's life. Okay. From, like, disappears. Like his teenage years. His teenage years and all this crazy stuff, but it's a little bit of a satire, and it's told from the perspective of his best friend that's following him around. Okay. Biff. Biff. It's really funny. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. It's not sacrilegious. If people are worried about, I'm not. I'm not particularly religious, and I am perfectly fun. fun it's not me. sacrilegious, but it's like I don't know. You know, it's it's not. It's funny in all the ways that it's that in great ways that well, kind of like push it. I cried at the end. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Christ doesn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it depends. <laughs> but depends how you view yeah. the story, right? <laughs> yeah, but like when he get, he gets into it with um, wow, Judas, he has a conversation with Judas at the end, and I was just like, this is what this is what Christianity is all about, man. Like, oh God, and it's funny, but it's uh, just. If, if it's perfect if you kind of came up in, in the faith but are kind of on the outside but are still attached to it. That's what I was going to ask if you guys grow up in like, are you, so you're from the mid, Denver, I Denver. guess they call that the Midwest, I guess, right? Yeah, I guess that's what they the call West. it. Um, the, yeah, I grew up in, definitely in the church. It, my parents were, uh, they I think they were going through a phase. Like, uh, I have three older siblings, and the gap is 10 years. So then okay. there came me, and I think that a lot happened. Um, you know, they, they had some financial trouble and stuff, um, and I think that they kind of turned to, to religion and turned to God and, like, became part of the church as part of, you know, what they're like, we need to get our lives together and figure out what's right. going on. and. Um, you know, maybe the, the church has the answer. And so I grew up, that was right about the time that I was started going to school, kindergarten and stuff. So I went to a Christian everything all the way K okay. through 12. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I got the full, yeah, immersion program. And, um, and I struggled with it. And it, you know, I mean, it was just, I don't know, there's like, you look at everything and you look at you look at all these crazy things that people do have in church like for the church like they have these you know uh wireless you know headset <laughs> <laughs> microphone like all the best microphones and like just the opulence and it's just like duh, it's you know i mean sometimes there's like a powerpoint going on <laughs> totally <laughs> there was like some mega church stuff um giant you know flashing screen come see jesus live you know? <laughs> like it, it was really kind of you know i wasn't really feeling it and um i struggled with it and i, I got expelled from my school and in my 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 junior year, so I homeschooled that that year, and then um, I went back my senior year because it was all my friends, you know, yeah. were there. 
and uh, yeah but it's, it was like it was it, weird it seems like there's like so much great kind of gospel and religious music and then there's the mega church which kind of seems to like not present any of that to people it's like yeah it's something it's totally something else it's it's i'm so happy that the righteous gemstones is being made <laughs> right now because it's like makes me laugh and cry at the same time <laughs> that movie saved with bandy moore so good yeah what do well, i was laughing my ass off at that and you just were pinching the top of your nose like i wish this were funny but this is like real this is not this is a documentary. <laughs> it's really real. Yeah. You know. I never knew the thing. I heard you guys talk about this on the on the Pete Holmes podcast, and I had just seen a video of this drummer in like a mega church drumming, and in like a in the glass in the glass box, and the cross falls on. Them. Oh <laughs> no! Like, but I didn't know that was a thing. I thought that was just this one. Yeah, mid song, he's just playing, and you see the this huge cross just start to oh God. slowly fall, and then, <laughs> and then hit the box. And then, oh, well, so what? Like, did that? I guess that kind of affects the type of stuff you read in high school. Either the stuff you seek out that's kind of not sanctioned by kind of religious community, or what they're giving you in school. Is that? Yeah, I mean, in when I think about it now I mean I wasn't the best student by far but when I think about it now um, I don't know what we were and what we weren't allowed to read in in my school I kind of feel like they probably held back some of the books that um, you know maybe were too sexy or like yeah. you know like uh, there's no catcher in the rye at your school that, yeah that's what I mean there's and, no and so, Howard's in people's history of the United totally, States. Totally, totally. And I feel like right, you know, after high school, I started, started reading, reading some of that stuff and yeah. was like, oh God, I missed, there's a hole in my life that I missed a whole chunk. Yeah. A lot of history too. Like you guys were really focused. Oh, well, maybe I don't you, know. I, I, you weren't. I think that the standard is maybe, um, well, it has hopefully changed now. Um, but I feel like that you know, the, all the history books were kind of not great. Or maybe written from a perspective. During like that, that time, yeah. They just, like... Um, yeah, that might just be a time period thing, yeah. not even a, like, type of school Christian you go school, to. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it wasn't like, Jesus didn't discover America. Or anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was, um, yeah, I think it's just kind of... Were, were there dinosaurs in your? Were there dinosaurs and people walking around together in your science books? I'm pretty well. I'm not being ugly. Know. No, no, no. Way. It's fine. I think that. Um, yeah, I mean, they definitely. Uh, re, you know, the, it was evolution was not a thing. Like we did not come from. Um, we didn't evolve. Like they were hardcore against that, and and. Um, and so yeah, I mean, I think so probably riding around on dinosaurs, etc. <laughs> <laughs> so the science part of the curriculum was maybe <laughs> a little yes, yeah, it was a different time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the eighties. But the 90s. You, what about you? I know you're well, born I'm, in Mississippi, right? But yeah, but you know, my family wasn't particularly religious. It's my my mother got religious, but we found like the opposite like super like like snuggly left-wing 
Episcopal Church in East Nashville, where I ended up growing up, and one in, in Mrs. Jackson, Mississippi, too, where the uh, priest was a lady. She talked me off an existential ledge when I was 10 years old because my grandmother's side of the family were First Baptist, and the preacher was a screamer, and I was having bad dreams because I was having like an associative issue between the violence kind of expounded in this guy's face and voice and sweating and screaming at old people in the church and like Christ figure. Yeah. Like not a nice guy, somebody haunting your dreams and this nice priest, uh, she kind of was like, no, that's not what it is. You're, that's just the preacher screaming. We don't yell here. Yeah. It's nobody, you know, kind of reframed a lot. And my mother is also like, kind of like a so like not not what is new agey at all but definitely like christian new agey a little bit like, like the mysticism a little part bit of, of it, that yeah. and like the divineness of the one of the universe but definitely like in terms of the bible and god so my whole relationship is so groovy with religion in that sense but not with the institutions of it at all so we kind of a lot of the religious stuff i'm kind of bringing in non-ironically and then it kind of balances out, I think, with like where we are. Not like judge well. Some, we're, we're judging some things about the institutions that, you know, yeah. mess with people. You use fear and power and money in the name of God to like get their way in the world. That's not God. And the, at yeah, all. like, you know anti-gay and everything yeah. like I, I, I remember a specific story where all the kids were in they brought all the kids in and it was like there was an amendment that was supposed, supposed to be passed I don't mean to hijack what no, no, no. but um, it, and they had uh, you know we were all not even old enough to vote everybody's just you know it's like 13 to 15 16 year olds um, and they brought us all into the chapel and, and it was this they did a whole kind of like sermon on it um, this is with our school they brought a guy in and they're talking about all this you know no on i remember it was amendment two i don't remember exactly what it was but it was like uh, no on amendment two uh, it was against it was like about you know not allowing gay, uh, gays to have um you know rights and he started out the thing by saying, "Okay, now like um, all the girls look at your look at your fingernails, and um, okay, now all the boys look at your fingernails." And then he said, "Okay, well, girls look at their fingernails like this, and you know, put puts their your hand palm down and like kind of spread your fingers." And um, boys look at their fingernails like this, where you you kind of make a claw facing yourself. Yeah. And um, I don't, you know, it's kind of like <laughs> singling out who might be. <laughs> you see the boy is like, oh, yeah, I think they, it might have been me. I was like, oh, did I, what, what, did I do it wrong? Um, but it was weird. And then they would give us all stickers that were like, vote no on too. And we'd like stick them on our bodies. You're supposed to like commit voter fraud? <laughs> yeah, or like at least wander around, you know, go back to our to our uh, parents, parents and, and we don't like, want gay teachers in our school mom vote no on two they uh, shouldn't be girls look at their fingernails like this mom <laughs> yeah Michael looked at his fingernails in a weird way yeah we've been worried about him you know he doesn't necessarily fall in line he doesn't cry he doesn't cry at chapel on Monday <laughs> 
That's all. So I grew up like, like culturally Catholic, but not really religious Catholic. Uh-huh. Um, so some of those things about like I just assumed everyone was Catholic when I grew up, and then I found my, my wife's from Indiana, and I found out there's a whole other type of church and some of the stuff required of it is so different from like Catholic church you just sit there you're quiet you like look at some of the like some of the imagery or you're like it's like pretty violent imagery right some of the crucifixions I mean you just sit there quietly and then to see these other churches where people are up and singing and speaking in tongues or crying and stuff it's like it's pretty wild for a culture like the, I mean the Midwest yeah. it's kind of reserved mm-hmm. otherwise right but the religious part of it is they're trying to work through their charge right and the yeah, thing is get I, it out. I believe like that that connection is real and that people really do feel and can be enraptured because it happens in many religions and, and I feel like it's a, a spiritual tool available to us that can, can connect us with something and uh and it can be a beautiful thing, but when you get a bunch of teenagers in a, in a room and you're kind of like, something's wrong with you if you're not shaking and speaking in some, if you're not possessed by the spirit, then you're not, you're, we're judging you for that. It's kind of like, that's, that's an inauthentic way to achieve that connection. It's, um, and, one kid's just sitting in the back looking at his nails the wrong way. <laughs> oh my god, do I like boys? Do I like boys? You know? Yeah, it's, it's I don't know, it's <laughs> funny, to, it's kind of funny to bring back a lot of these memories now. Like, uh, you know, it makes me wonder what's behind, you know, I mean, I think there's something to what you're saying, like, people are feeling something um, that, you know, some kind of either connection or some kind of, like, uh, they're they're able to to uh, get something out that was repressed. Um, maybe that you know it's the connection with the oneness or with the with you know. I mean, it, God is so different to everybody, and I don't really ca- uh, carry any judgment for that. But like some guy to just stand up, you know, he's just like a dude in his you know fifties. It's just quiet otherwise just stands up and starts busting out some like <laughs> crazy uh, <laughs> like uh, speaking in tongues and stuff and um, and you wonder what's behind that like is he I don't know I mean it could be anything maybe he's like done something really wrong that he could never talk about and, he, and this is expressing you
there's a great clip of, uh, of, of this preacher speaking in tongues and then he starts checking his phone and while he's looking at his phone he just like starts doing this like drawn out drone so he's just like uh, while he's flipping through his phone and then he goes back to so it's amazing it's so good the it's fo- so good. yeah that's I never thought about it because it, it was before phones when I was in it it's like <laughs> Google Translate <laughs> Oh, no. what is that? That's an app. No, that, there's the money. No, no. <laughs> but I feel like having kids does make you suddenly have to reassess a lot of those things, like what you want. For me, like I was able to just ignore all of it and be like, whatever. And then I had kids, and I was like, oh, do I have to do some of the things, or do I not? Like, can I? religious you mean yeah yeah like should I bring them to church should I not should I how do I teach them about religions if we don't go you know it's really tough but it is, is that something you guys have definitely I, I am not a religious you know I have not wanted to, I have a community I have a wonderful community that can involve myself in service and and people to talk to I get a lot of spiritual food from but the minute we had kids, I was starting thinking about the structures, about the stories, about how much, basically, I, in an instant, distilled our religion down to its like purest, you know, form. Like, what is the juice here? What's this juice? Cut away all the rest of it. You know, no, we don't have to tell our children that Adam and Eve is absolutely the way that the world started. In fact, we're more likely to tell us. You know, Adam and Eve is a story that's in our holy book, it's in our Bible, but it's very similar stories have occurred in all through the religions that came thousands of years before our religion. And it's probably not exactly the story, but it's a good way to think of the way that the universe was formed. Sure, you know, why don't we think of seven days as seven gazillion years that we can never measure? It's not even any of our business. Let's just reduce it down to this little story and get to the right. point, which is love your neighbor, cherish your family, respect your the world that you are the steward of because you have some kind of weird alien consciousness that other varmints with as much honor as you have don't have right. that, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's a weird spark that wonders, why is the sun coming up? Why is it going down? Like, I mean, it is interesting <laughs> that a lot of it just comes down to stories that are like parables for either how to grasp this unknowable thing or just how to interact with each other you know yeah I feel like if you just take all the just just the Jesus part of the Bible and we're like yeah that's what I, I think I remember the most about being in um, in like you know uh, like the daycare portion of, of, of church where they would where they would send the kids while the adults would go to the service you just learn all about this awesome guy Jesus who was cool to everybody and like accepted everybody and um, and the people you know like he stood up to the bullies and he uh, was fed everybody when they were hungry yeah and was like uh, uh, this selfless guy I feel all like all of those stories are really great yeah you know Jesus it's like washes the feet that's like the cool hippie Jesus, right? Yeah. And then there's yeah. like, uh, that's the one everyone loves. And then, you know, like, it's a great, yeah, it's all the things that you would be telling your kid in a different way anyways, like, um, or hopefully at least, like, to, don't let the other kids pick on 
um, you know, Johnny, you need to go and stand up for him, or you need to be his friend when nobody else is his right. friend, and go, you know, be kind to him. It's so far from like how it's been co-opted. Now the yeah. you know that's the, almost the exact opposite. Like if you have all those impulses right now, you're probably at odds with the religious, you know, the dominant religious Christianity yeah. of the country. At least the Christian industrial complex you're at odds with. I would say your average. I like to think that your average like human being, whatever church they find themselves, are fundamentally like, you know. Let's not eat each other's children. <laughs> Shall we? Shall we participate in a basic understanding that we're all just trying to find something to eat and shelter our, our children? And if we can work together. Yeah. Do you feel like any of the language of that? I mean, that's a lot of the religious stuff is so. The language of it is so rich. Has any of that kind of crept into God, your it. songwriting at all? Or I, I feel like. Uh, Maybe Carrie is a little bit has a better relationship with it than than I do, and she's some of her writing um, maybe can take some of that and 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 uh, not twist it, but like she's made some really great poetry out of some of some Bible stories before. I I don't know if. I don't know if I have or if I really have that like in me because of my relationship with what just in the past I'm kind of just like I might be I'm too close yeah <laughs> but even like oh be joyful just the title you know that and the funny so. thing about that is the the history of Obi, that title came from I was I had the flu. I was at Michael's mom's daddy's daddy's house in Denver, watching Ken Burns' documentary on the Civil War, and it got to the part where they talked about how Civil War soldiers were didn't have shit, and they were making drugs and alcohol out of anything that they could ferment and rot. And right. It would be like turpentine and old mold, like some toxic berry from the woods, and like anything that could make them just get through the cold night. And they called it Obi Joyful. And oh it wow. Was, like murderous stuff <laughs> yeah. like I imagine some mix somewhere between like hard booze and methamphetamine yeah. like making that out of, on the on the trail as they go because they're all shitting themselves to death yeah you know <laughs> so the t- they call that drink OB Joyful they call it OB Joyful mm-hmm. it's and, gotta be a market uh, for that and now I'm, <laughs> yeah. and I'm sure that the uh yeah, you know, I'm sure that is a, a, a little bit of reference. Yeah. Delta mama and a nigger jack man. Raise their Cumberland daughter in a Tennessee band. Plates bring water station in. Couldn't play fast, couldn't fit in. Called a 66 Dodge from Carolina. Got her education on her mama's dime She was singing in a bar called Comatose Halfway rusted on a salty coat Rock of ages cleave for me Let me hide myself in thee Buried in the sand Five hundred miles from Birmingham. 
school program in Nashville, Tennessee. It is an urban school. It's kind of nestled in a, kind of an area of projects and old factories. Um, it was uh, full of really smart kids from all kinds of walks of life. Uh, and everybody was in AP everything. Uh, I got in there because I was gifted and talented, but I was one of the dumber kids in the school. But that was still okay. I mean, like, you know, I wasn't competing at the academic level of my peers in that particular school. But I found a niche in the art community and had a band really early and cool high school teachers that fostered my interest in history and government and stuff and then had cool bands and my parents were hip and yeah. let me run myself pretty. And Nashville was a lot different then too. Than oh, now, yeah. Right? Was... And even then it was so cool. I mean, it's blown out. I still think it's cool, except like it is kind of gross when all the like bridesmaids are puking on the road. Yeah, like and condos are going up. I mean, it's kind of like here, you know, in anything. Brooklyn where we are. It's the same thing. Every square foot is becoming anything become. that's cool. Everybody wants to go there because it's hard everywhere else. Yeah. I guess, but it was cool growing up there. I had very open, just like kumbaya life. Yeah. Do you remember things you that? stuck out to you that you read in high school? Um, I was a delinquent reader too. I kind of really came to love books later, but I went totally went through a um, um, a phase where I read everything by the guy that wrote Catching Rye. Why can't I think of his name? Uh, Salinger. Yeah. Salinger read everything, the nine stories, collections, and Franny and Zooey and all that. And when I go back and, as an adult and you know, we both read Catcher in the Rye as adults, and I was just like, oh man, somebody shake this kid. Yeah. <laughs> White privilege ass having kid has no idea how easy he's got it. <laughs> yeah. His parents are worried sick. Of course, maybe they weren't. Maybe they, you know, but I. But he's like, I mean, he is also like grieving the death of his brother, right? I, mean, I forgot it's all like, about that. Yeah, I think that's yeah. like. Well, I, I have to read that. I, I teach read high school. I read that book every single yeah. <laughs> or I skim it again every year. Yeah. But it is interesting to go back. I remember reading it in high school and being like really moved by it. And then going back as an adult and just having kind of the up, like just it All, not affecting me. Yeah, as the much, things you know? that stand out to me are, are, are his, his like little, his squirminess and like his. Um, his insecurity, but I forgot all about how his brother had passed. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, like, you know, I was, uh, the teenage me wasn't, I was just looking for him. I was looking for the angst. Yeah. I wasn't <laughs> interested in empathizing with what was really happening to him. It is interesting, too, like, that to go back so, like, frequently as an adult to that book and how, like, culturally attitudes are changing. Like, some of the stuff about sex and girls in that book, like, now suddenly, are become problematic in a way that like 
were never, I never even would have thought to consider an issue as a kid. Sure, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty wild. Yeah, and I did, I read, I remember reading Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man in high school and it really kind of, just, you know, set me straight on some things and I read that again as an adult and, was, you know, enjoyed it as it, and understood things differently about it than, it, yeah. you know, that I hadn't understood, um, you know, in my first read and I, I did I wish I had done more of the reading I, I I don't know what was I doing with my time I guess I was playing guitar and like learning Bob Dylan songs and stuff like that yeah. but is that what you were listening to lots of Bob Dylan lots of John Prine yeah lots of it's like reading yeah yeah sure I'm, I was deep Dylan won the Nobel Prize and yeah. actually, so you're good yeah <laughs> um I kind of went through a Jack Kerouac phase. I really was into the beats. Yeah. I just wanted to read everybody that was alternative and stuff, but I was afraid to read Charles Bukowski. It was scary. <laughs> I only read Charles Bukowski's Postman, Post, Post Office, Post, the Postman. Um, the post book, Office, I think, right? Post so, Office, yeah. uh, as an adult. And I was like, good, I'm glad I waited till I was an adult, because this, this is, uh, it's just like, it's just a little bit too heavy-handed and grown up like the darkness of long-term alcohol abuse and sexual depravity and relationships where you're just like based on your own self-loathing that's for grown-ups yeah. it's not like particularly graphic nobody's in there just blown off but it's just like yeah if you're understanding that at 18 you need your mother to come and get you i have a friend <laughs> who who read henry miller when he was a teenager and he was like man it's just fuck totally fucked up my life because I thought I could just like live a life like I was reading in Henry Miller and like yeah. you know from 18 to 25 all of my choices were like I didn't read chasing Henry that kind Miller. of life what is what was Henry Miller suppose? well he was basically like uh, you can just drink and have sex and be an artist and you know kind of just go a hundred percent in this direction um, and he managed to do it, but that's a pretty tough, right. tough thing to pull off, you know. Yeah. Like I was talking, like Nick Hayes Carl was talking about how, like, he read, you know, a lot of the beats and stuff, and really loved it. And then at a certain point, as an adult, was like, wait, this is like, you can't do this. Yeah. You, know, you have to kind of negotiate being a responsible adult and kind of maintaining some of yeah, if you that have, spirit. Definitely, and I think that's okay too. Uh, we have we give interviews where we talk about our process a lot, and my process is a mess right now, but Michael's process is, um, he gives himself, he shows up to work every day to his job, which is being an artist, right. and he gives himself the opportunity to do that. He doesn't have to make great work. All he has to do is put his pencil, show up, here's the tools, and take your time and you have to do that because you have children that you need to spend time with and you have a tour and a wife that needs your attention and this is the time that you have and as long as you give yourself that little chuck all the time or as close to in some kind of habitual form your art will come when you're young and free and you don't have any limitations it's easy to think that the muse will just carry you yeah but it's going to carry you into the middle of your dish pile Right. When your shit is fall, like when you're managing your life, and you can't stop when the, when your children are crying for food and there's laundry piled up, and the record needs to be mixed to like craft some perfect numbers. Like that's, that's not the time you. That's not the right time. Right. You know? like, yeah, it's a very romantic notion, but that's when 
life creeps in. That's it, stuff. Is that something you had to learn, or, you, or yeah, I that? feel like I, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> maybe when I very first started writing, I was um, under the impression that you would have to have some, you know, that you would have to be depressed or something to be able to to make something sure. and really feel it, and um, and yeah. I think I learned pretty quickly that that wasn't mm -hmm. the way that I wanted to do it. I mean, you can be, you can create whole worlds um, where somebody else is depressed, <laughs> depressed you know? Yeah. And it's like, uh, it's it's almost more fun, it's more imaginative, and it's definitely more, it's healthier, you know? And um, yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy the process of just clocking in and working on it you know it's like showing up and and doing it and I don't feel like it you know everything doesn't have to be the best thing it doesn't have to you're not always working on your you know masterpiece right but um I like the I just like working on it you know and um and and like Carrie said some you know something's gonna come you know been doing this long enough to know what you're doing so it's like, oh, okay. Well, this is how this is how I put a song together, um, and it's okay now. But I'm gonna like tinker with the uh, with the bridge a little bit more. Maybe just like take the bridge out and not and you know, I don't just kind of look at it like a you know like you're working on a building, right. you know. Um, like a craft, basically, rather yeah, than it, something you accidentally stumble into. Mm -hmm. And it, and it, not to say that it's emotionless either, because it definitely is. You know, you, that's a big part of it. Is is you kind of have to feel it. I feel like when when you get the goosebumps, or when you when you're when you get the hair standing up on your arm, if you come up with something or something that shows up on your page that you are really into, then you go with that. Can you think of a, like a song that, A, one that kind of you had to work on that was a little bit more of a challenge in that way, and then another one that just kind of seemed to appear there? Are there examples of those? Yeah. Um, I, f I feel like uh, the... Well, there was... <clears throat> Morning Song off Little Seeds is... You know, it's a real story. Well, I wouldn't say it's real, real, but it's written about, um, you know, my my mom, my dad was uh, dying of Alzheimer's, and um, my and they played music together. Um, he was a musician. She would just kind of like drag her into it, more or less, and um, and so it, this is a example of a song that I've that I feel like I. Um, maybe I don't know I don't know if I'm answering your question directly with this song it's more like a, um, I was being really careful with the way that I was writing it because I didn't want to hurt my I didn't want to hurt my mom you know and it wasn't about um, it was just basically a story about um, after he's gone and how she would you know, he, he had taught her some chords and um, how she would, you know, be able to play this 
play this tune after he's gone and remember him and um and but he wasn't he wasn't gone yet yeah but it was you know it was gonna happen <clears throat> um so i i don't know i maybe that's not a, maybe that's not a great example i think it's a good example because yeah. it's like there's the the ego approach where i'm like where you're like writing a song like this is good that isn't good and then there's the like tenderness approach where you're telling a story almost for the benefit of one particular person instead of like yourself or an audience mm -hmm. like you're writing it's like for the subject the song is for the subject which is rare and we don't we just tell the story 90% of the time and like 10% of the time it's something more personal it's like about us or it's about somebody that we love and that case is particular yeah I, I do remember being I mean out of anything that we've done or written I've, I've <laughs> labored over. they were living in our house also when we <laughs> okay. were writing this um, so it was like my he had been diagnosed they were driving my, my parents were had this retirement plan where they were gonna they bought this huge RV and they were gonna drive around they bought a like this little cottage in st. Joseph Michigan where um, my dad was born and they kind of set up for retirement it was gonna be great and then um, my mom was like something's not right here and she kept trying to figure it out took him to doctors over and over and they were like oh he's fine and, and so she felt like she was losing her mind yeah and um, we got got the diagnosis and you know uh, he, meanwhile he's driving a you know a 40-foot uh, RV yeah. <laughs> around the around the, dangerously you know yeah um, so they stopped at our house they never left. And they never left. We were like, you guys, you know, let's just stay here for a while and just kind of figure this thing out. And then they... they For two years. They stayed for two years. We got them set up, you know, back in Denver next to my other brother. Um, I, I, can't, I can't remember what we were talking about. I lost my... Well, we were talking about... We were talking about Morning Song and that that song was crafted. You were kind of given getting into the oh yeah story. and they were living in the house we were right yeah, writing it and we were we would go up and and learn it together and try to record it and we we were just like really emotional we were both were in tears we couldn't make it through the song right. you know because we it was just one of these things that was so you know it so happening in real time um but yeah, that was so. That maybe would be an example of one that we that was like carefully put together over, you know, a matter of weeks or months, in you know, uh, in, in a delicate way. She walked into the kitchen where most mornings would begin, put her hands down on the counter, stretch her fingers long and thin. Chug her eyes across the wall to where he hung his mandolin. Then she whispered out the count like she was whispering it to him. Morning song. Morning song. Oh, you're all 
could sing your morning song. He was not much of a singer, but there was shrapnel in his sound. Always ready with a singer that could burn the whole place down. The love was undefinable, no beginning and no end. Like so many ancient secrets ever blowing in the wind. came together like that would be like um, Mississippi Nothing where it was this was more like we had kids uh, no we had we had Louie and um, we were trying to figure out our home life schedule and uh, like who's gonna write and how how are we gonna write yeah. this is crazy and um, that was one that was just more like um, okay well, I'm gonna sit down with a with a with no music and just a, a pen and paper and like uh you know maybe like in a like a um tempo a, a tempo just sort of write out the story of this guy and it was just like a you know yeah basically like a one sitting story of um of these of these two guys who were um who had grown up together and um one of them had surpassed the other one um post high school like the, the, the weaker one surpassed the stronger one in right. uh, post high school. But that was a, something that kind of came together like, you know, really fast and just sort of born out of an exercise of writing. Is that, do you, I mean, I, I, what I know of your process is just from watching the documentary where you're sitting on the porch, literally writing Birmingham as you're going, right? Mm -hmm. Or you guys are talking about a bridge or a lyric or something. Yeah. is. Is there like a, a way that you usually do it, or is it like lyric driven, music driven? What's the at this point? You know, we used to kind of show up with almost completed work, and the longer we've been together, the less completed the work is when we show up, and so the more collaborative it's become. But it's basically like, here's my pile of ideas I've been trying to string together, and all the chaos. Here's your pile. We got a record to make. Uh, needs to be out, you know, in a year. So let's get these songs all sorted out. Okay, let's take them out on the road. What works? Do we like this song? It's not really working. Ditch it. Okay. What's the percentage that makes it through? Most of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, it is like We're not a, that picky about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> the timeline is is kind of vast in that it, um, when we first show each other stuff, it's like could be very you know broken down or yeah. you we'll know, know what's hitting. Yeah. Barely an idea and. Um, and then we give each other a lot of time and then you know we come back together but it is you know when we first started doing it it around the time you know oh be joyful and that we um it was it was harder to 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 show the other per i don't know we were just a little bit more uh nervous i guess about the about collaborating because we had never done it like that sure. before and we were um weren't really Even though we were comfortable married and with it yet. Yeah. Together for years and played in bars together for a really long time. <laughs> I'm gonna show you everything 
except for the song I'm shy about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it is a really tough thing to show something like that that you're that makes you vulnerable. Or, you yeah, know. and I and I do feel like we've grown so much in that way it, that that part of our relationship has really grown because we're we're totally comfortable about it and we can understand I mean where the other person's <clears throat> like where their heart was when they were writing it and what you know um, sometimes you know if we're not quite sure um, and the and the other per person is hearing it for the first time and sensing their insecurity well so you don't, don't have to search too hard to sense about it you know but um, you know, we kind of know how to talk to each other now, like, uh, just be being really gentle with the process and encouraging and, um, and if you're amazed by something, you, you should tell the other person that, that that was amazing, you know, and I can see myself in my old band, you know, so many years ago with a bunch of dudes, uh, where maybe there was a, a more competition going on or something nobody would be like you know oh my god that was so you know, yeah so amazing <laughs> great job bro yeah you know uh it is it's like a it's nice it's 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 a nice uh it's a nice vibe let's talk let's talk a little bit about some of the books you guys mentioned just when you encountered them and what it was about them that spoke to you? Um, so when Michael and I started trying to come together, we, we binged audiobooks yeah. uh, just to kill the days and days and days behind the wheel. And we, we binged so many things and we binged all of the um, Game of Thrones series and we, gained, we, we definitely went on a Steinbeck thing. And the cool thing about when we were studying, when we were uh, living in Grapes of Wrath, we were driving on the freaking same roads that the Joads were oh, driving, wow. but we were coming from California and they were coming from Oklahoma. And we were like, you know, we were in Bakersfield and we're going, we're, oh, we heard there's thousands of jobs in Bakersfield. Yeah. Load up the family, you know? And we, we, we even told the story on stage for years. Like we got, we were so in it and so wrapped up in this family's journey and so astoundedly furious at the structures that were kind of creating this world uh, that we kept, we kept, we literally thought we were going to see them at the, some dilapid gas station on the, yeah. the interstate and then, you know, <laughs> like, turn around, <laughs> it's not better here, yeah. you know, but uh, so that one really has kind of we, we keep Tom Joad on our shoulder, especially as our life has become easier and easier because there was a time when we were driving around in a dilapidated van, like we could kind of identify with what that must have felt like having everything that you owned that, that was important to you like in your car because that's how we were living. Uh, so the, the, that family's experience and what that means for our country at large has just kind of stayed with us. Sue Monk Kids book. That one is, sorry to interrupt you, but that, that one is like, also so relevant right now too because you have i mean just change the direction you have all these families for the same reasons coming trying to come here for the promise of yeah. something and being treated so 
and they'll put so you in the they can't wait to go put them out in the, our fields to pick our for beans sure, yeah. and peaches and yeah. so that you can buy them at Walmart for a dollar ninety nine. You know, yeah, yeah. don't even that's a whole another podcast. <laughs> and this is we live in Charleston, South Carolina, and we uh, my friend turned me on to the Sue Monk Kid book, and I didn't even know what I was expect what it was, and then it's the tale of. Uh, the Grimke sisters who were born into the bluest blood, slave-owned, awfulest white family with all the money in Char downtown Charleston, South Carolina. Their house is still there. And it was their spit is a one of these, it's probably not 100% historically accurate, you know? Sure. It's historical fiction based on these ca true characters' lives. A couple things about it I think are great are that it's really paints a picture of the abolitionist journey and, but it's not like a book where the white lady is the hero of, okay. and saves all, you know, all of, says, you know, goes and ends slavery for everybody. This, the, 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 real, the heroes of the story are all of these women. It's, it's, the, it's the, 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 the slave women that grow up alongside the Grimke sisters that like kind of inform their reality and, and what their journey will be, you know, in abolition. And in the generation, the generations of people who are affected, and it, it talks about um, Denmark Vesey, who was a was a uh, led a big slave rebellion in Charleston, South Carolina. Talks about the AME uh, Church of Mother Emanuel, which actually was the site of the horrible massacre that took place several years ago. So all these things are like the history is alive in this book and. Uh, if you're even if you're not interested in history, if you're ever curious about, uh, would you like an honest take, 360 degrees of what it was like in Charleston in 1860? This is a great book, and yeah. it's just a plow of read. It's just a super page turner. And then we talked about Lamb. Just uh, kind of found that. And I started reading like crazy when I got pregnant with Louie because I. Had to stop smoking and <laughs> weed and stop drinking alcohol and stop taking like I just had to. That was full of nervous energy, so I just like <laughs> was reading and devoured Lamb and about a gazillion other books. Yeah. Do you ever notice like a a connection between your songwriting and what you're reading or what you've read? Is that something that creeps in? Yeah. I think we both write a whole lot more and a whole lot better when we're reading and when we're dialed into the the um, like plugging into the creative realm, like digesting other people's work. It's like fungus spores, like makes makes more creative mushrooms. Yeah, definitely. I've, uh, there's a song called Johnny Come Outside that is off of Little Seeds, and we <clears throat> that was written right after. Um, I read this book called Quiet, and it's all about introverts, and you yeah. know, um, it's kind of hard, <laughs> kind of hard on extroverts that book. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's it could, because I'm definitely an introvert, and I, and Carrie's probably an extrovert, and I was talking to her about the book, and like, oh man, this is speaking to me in all these in in all these different ways. Like, this makes sense. This makes sense, and then. She's like, yeah, but that's kind of mean to, <laughs> <laughs> to uh, because, you know, we're like, am I like that? You know, it, but it, it's, it's more just like a, 
it's like goes back to um, when uh, in this I don't remember what you would know um, but yes. in the states when it was like everyone was a salesman and it and yeah. like that was a great job to be a salesman when you got your briefcase and you, uh, you sell commission. things you get your commission and then you teach your kid to be a salesman and um, you gotta have Foxy. yeah right out, you the, out the gate you're like you gotta have this stuff, you know. Like you gotta approach, approach people, look them in the eye, you know. Uh, speak a certain way and carry your body a certain way and everything. Tell a story confidently. And there was these kids that were just like, nope, this is not, you know that they couldn't. It wasn't in them to do it, and everybody and they thought that something was wrong with them, and they would try to medicate them and yeah. um, be like, oh, he just needs a little, you know go get him pill or whatever. Uh, if we just gotta, you know, we gotta throw them in the mix and with the big dogs and, you know, teach them how to scrap or whatever. Yeah. And um, it's really, I, I mean, they were trying to do the best, that they were trying to do something good, but it, it wasn't the right way. And now we all, you know, have a little, you know, hindsight 2020. But um, I was moved by that book and we uh, wrote the song Johnny Come Outside and it's just, you know, more or less like shy, like a, not shy kid, but like inward kid. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, sometimes a, a song will be written directly off of a book. Right. Like, oh, well, this is, I want to write a song about this. Right. I wrote Dressed in Snow with a couple of my friends right off. This is a, book, a song from way before we were in band together, but right off of Jonathan Saffron for a book, uh, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Um, there's a character in that book, an old man who survives the bombing of Dresden and he's traumatized by it, but it's funny, the trauma happens, he slowly uses loses the use of his words over his life. Like, uh, and I think there's like another, he, he loses the love of his life in the bombing he ends up a young man in the United States and he just slowly loses his words and he gets yes and no tattooed on his hands and that's kind of part of the story and I basically just ripped that whole <laughs> narrative right out of that no, book it's cool. it's and wrote, uh, wrote it in a three minute song. Yeah. It's, a, it's a cool song and it is just like taking, that, taking the story of that section mm -hmm. of the book and turning it into a song which I think is I I think it's great. Waiting yeah. for him to like file some kind of copyright like not like infringement but like and I don't think credits he's, I don't credits think he's worried he's doing all right I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. well I was reading the Jeff Tweedy autobiography we recently. That one. yeah and he was talking about like the lyrics are ashes of American of an American flag and he was we were speaking of Henry Miller earlier he was like after he wrote it he was like oh yeah I just basically ripped off this whole part of a Henry Miller I don't remember which book but like it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like that it's it, as long it's as you great say because you are. Was, I don't even know that he was aware of it until like uh, afterwards looking back. But I mean, one thing because that's sort of my some of my favorite uh, surprises is when you hear a song that you like and you're like and you find out its origins and then can lead you to an, to something like that. You know, yeah. lead you to the lead you to the book or. Um, the whatever inspired it I mean that's what like a, a lot of music 
is anyways because it just was inspired by right that's what Dylan was doing right it was just pulling in everything that was he was reading and thinking about and yeah managed to just just tell the story do it yeah. mm-hmm. what did you you mentioned one of the Jonathan Saffron Fellow books is yours what, what do you remember here I am it was um pretty recent one yeah it's pretty recent I I was really feeling it while I was reading it because um, I don't know he, he, he's one of my faves for sure and um, and it's just a, a way of describing human emotion that I feel like is really original and really um, it just it speaks to me uh, in a way that you know it's just describing somebody going through something um, and like you've never heard it described before right. and that's my be- that's my best description of I that love these characters talk to each other <clears throat> how the family in that book is like they're going through a lot and they're trying to like work through it but they they still have just this wonderful back and forth like even the wife and him like when they're dealing with the like whatever the infidelity that happened or whatever it's like uh even when their their marriage is kind of falling apart like they know how to talk to each other like they're working they're working around it and i love their kid i just love the way he writes the diet yeah. the diet the way they the characters talk to each other it's so cool yeah there's a it's a you know it's this family and um and like what Carrie has just said is sort of happening. There's all with a lot of his books. There's you know multiple storylines going on, but um, I really did like the fight, the the family dynamic of it. And I think that it was maybe while you were pregnant, or maybe I don't remember. Louis was born. I think she was. Louis was really new, and um, it was all the things swirling around about like, oh my God, what's it going to be like when she's. 10, 11, or 12, and, you know, just thinking about uh, how to, I don't know, I mean, how to, how to navigate all this, you know, all this family life and kind of like, um, you know, how to not totally get lost in, in my own self or get, you know, get lost in, uh, in, like trying to be too, trying, you know, trying to be in my room being an artist or something. It's like, no, this all has to, has to exist together. Right. And, um, that's hard. I mean, all that stuff's hard anyway. It seems even harder when your job requires you to move around all the time. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, we just came in here. We were, we were, we just made it on time because, we're on the bus and you know we have two kids one of them is really small and he was he's crying and the other one is whining about something else and we we're trying to like do transition mom and dad stuff and also not just be like bye yeah. <laughs> and you're on like a moving studio apartment for yeah it's for a two um a tube of six people yeah but it's great. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We feel so grateful to to be able to do it, and and we're astonished that people care, you know, enough to show up and for us to be able to play the places that we're able to play. So I think that 
um, we're just gonna go with that. We're just gonna like lead with gratitude for as long as this thing takes takes us. And um, when it gets hard, try to remember how how great it is. I know it's like that sounds pretty postcardy, but it's like it's true. It's, yeah, it's um, how we get it done. It's insane, but it's 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 a beautiful type of insanity. It's like a you know it's like uh, camping, or it's like a Chevy Chase camping movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was thirsty, I was lost, I was hanging on a cross, I was dying to make it back to Colorado. Bones in a saddle I was weary from the battle The path was much too difficult to follow Well come on Utah Get me over that hill We got 10 more miles on a turn out dial We're never coming back again Well come on Utah Raise me over that See my son and carry my gun like a real American The wall had come and gone And all the lost ones had moved on They would gather on the hill to tell his story Utah was his name He had a calico mane He would stride out on the cannonade morning Well he sauntered to my side And I fell into his eyes And in them I saw fire mixed with music so I climbed up on his back And we lighted down the track And I yelled his name out so loud Everybody knew I said, call you talk Race me over that land Albuquerque, Santa Fe And on up the Rio Grande Come on, Utah Get me over that Sunshine on my skin, but the hill is steep, and my arms are weak, and I'm out of breath, and there's nothing left but this wind in my back, water in my pack, and a horse with a wheel like a can. I was hanging on a 
on a cross I was dying to make it back to Colorado